Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Somebody say with me, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> so as we start this sermon series, the title of my message today is called, It is Finished. It. Somebody say it. Every time I hear that word, I always think of, uh, what was it, the Adams family, cousin it. Remember cousin it, you know, what is it, you know, what is it? And so as I was growing up, I grew up in a very uh, different atmosphere than we have here at Access Church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church where everything was legalistic, everything was rules, everything was you had to do this and do that and do here. And everything was doo-doo, you know, do, do, do. <laughs> everything was doo-doo, you know. And, it, and if you didn't do things a certain way, then God was going to punish you. God was going to, he was just waiting. The, the church that I grew up with it, in, it was a, a God that was always ready to strike you and send you to hell and burn you and mess you up. And I grew up in this atmosphere when I was little. Uh, when I was uh, in the summer, I used to go to Mexico and I used to go and in, in Mexico, I became Catholic with my grandparents because they would take me to Catholic church. And, but then I would come home and I would come home to uh, then, you know, my, my, my mom and my dad and attending this church. And as I was growing up, I would see, uh, you know, some, some of this legalism, some of these rules that were holding people back. And let me tell you, it wasn't all bad because we had great services. There was something that I miss sometimes nowadays, and that's the reverence and the awe of worship and the time in the, in the presence of the Lord. I remember that when we used to get in the presence of the Lord, you could, you could move to the left or the right. You just, you had to revere and honor the presence of God. Sometimes, you know, there's the presence of the Lord is here, amazing or something. And I hear people, you know, talking or having a conversation and I'm like, hey, we're in the middle of the presence of this awesome God, you know, where... We need to revere him and honor him. And, and sometimes I miss a little bit of that. But other than that, there was miracles and signs and wonders. But in, within that, there was this legalism and these rules. And, 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 and it got to the point that one day our pastor was preaching against Friday night football, against the football, because the football was made out of pigskin originally. And so because Jesus casted the demons into the pigs, the football was a demon. And we couldn't go see football because the football was a demon. And so me being uh, who I am at 12 years old, um, uh, we used to have these things called vigilias. How many of you have ever heard of vigilias? And, and sing all night and, you know, you know, solo Dios, hay poder. And, and we would sing, hay poder, poder, like 30 times, amen. And they're like, oh, you know, the same thing. I know there's power, but I don't see it. You know, and over and over, and, and we would sing, and then, and then the women would come up and sing, and then the men would come up and sing, and then the children would come up and sing, and then the youth would come up and sing, and I mean, the only thing we needed to come up and sing were the pets, and we didn't bring them to church, but everybody had to participate, and then everybody would preach, and then they had these testimonies, and it was just like crazy, all night long till about six in the morning. And then at six in the morning, we would have breakfast. We would eat barbacoa and menudo and tamales. And I remember that the pastora asked, you know, hey, uh, would you like tamales? And she's like, yes. And I said, what kind? Tamales de puerco, pork tamales. 
So when they brought him to her, 12 years old, I come up to her. I said, are you about to eat those demons? Oh, boy. And she laid hands on me. Literally. You know, que falta de respeto. You know, in the name of Jesus, pa, pa, pa. You know, and I said, well, you just preached that the football was a pig and there was a, you know, pig skin and it had the devil in it, but now you're about to eat three devils. And then you ask for three tacos of chorizo and then that's another three demons. <laughs> you know, you're going to eat a, le- a legion. And, and, and I had these questions. So as all this, as I was growing up, as I was growing up in a great uh, ministry atmosphere, but at the same time, I was growing resentful and bitter against legalism and all these rules, and you know, and, and it hurt me. And eventually, I, I I left the church and went rebellious for five years. My mother's prayers brought me back. The grace of God brought me back, and so I came back to the Lord. And then this summer, I'll be celebrating 35 years in ministry, and and praise God, I'm excited for that. Amen. I'm happy, but. It didn't come without a price. For a long time, I held this resentment against these Pentecostal churches. And I remember finally I came back. I went to Bible school. I graduated, and they invited me to one of these churches. I was already married, and I remember I told my wife, when I get there, I'm going to let them have it. And sure enough, I got to the pulpit and said, the name, you bunch of legalistic and the word says. and Because I was preaching out of a bitter hurtful heart. And you know what the response was? You're never coming back to this church again. And you know, I showed like I didn't care, but I did. That's why I grew up in. But you see what bitterness and resentfulness and anger and hate towards something does? I could have been a blessing to this people. I could have had a chance to transform them. But what I carried with me didn't allow me to it. Although I had the gift and I had the knowledge and I had a newness because at that time we had gone to, from Coritos to, to worship and uh, alabanza oración and it was a new way and we had got into new revelation of the word and we had gone into all this new stuff. But none of that was good because I still carried resentfulness, bitterness, anger. I still carried all that hate inside of me towards that atmosphere. Somebody say, praise God for second chances. Because eventually, one of these churches asked me back. And that time that I went back, I remember all I could preach about was the love of Christ. And you know what? I enjoyed singing Solo Dios hace al hombre feliz one more time. And I enjoyed singing Una Mirada de Fe. And I enjoyed singing all these coritos. And, and I got into it. And I got into it with them because the Lord showed me. He says, this is where they're at in their process of transformation. And what you got to do is you got to love them at that stage. Because maybe they're not where you're at. But that's why you're going back. So that they, you can be the example to them. And they can follow you to where you're at. And I remember God moved in that church. And from that day on. Through the Holy Spirit and through the words of my beautiful wife, the consul is saying, hey, you need to let it go. Somebody say, let it go. And so as I started meditating on that and started thinking about everything that I went to and that I had to eventually let it go to get to where I'm at, it took me back to the word in John 
chapter 19 and verse 30 that says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Say it with me. It is finished. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. This cry of Jesus translates to one Greek word. Let's try to pronounce it together. Tetelestai. Come on, say it with me. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. You know, the great Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, and I was remembering this as I was studying. I remember we, uh, this saying in, in Bible school. It says, it would need all of the other words that have ever been spoken or will ever be spoken to explain this one word, tetelestai. Because this one word altogether is a, an Im- immeasurable word. It means that it's a completeness, a wholeness, something that has been completed. It means to finish a task, to complete an assignment, or to accomplish a goal. That means it is done. How many of you have ever cooked before? And how many when you cook, you can tell when something's done? You grab a little bit of it, you taste it, or you cut into the meat and you see a little bit of blood. Oh, it's not done yet. It is not finished yet. It is not cooked yet. You can tell when something is done. And when it's done, you go, ya está listo. It's ready to eat. And then you get excited. And so this word, tetelestai, was also used by servants when they completed their obligatory tasks. As soon as they finished the task, it is done. Hey, boss, I am done. I already finished the work. In other words, I want my pay or my reward. It is what? Finished. It is done. And then artists use this term when they, were, they would finish a work of art such as this one. Let it go. It is finished. Look at my art. It is finished. It is complete. You know, Pablo Picasso and all those, I, I, I don't even know why that thing is worth. I remember pastor preached a message on this one day, and he said, it's not the painting, because those paintings, I don't even understand them. They're all crook and everything. I mean, my kids used to draw better than that when they were little, but it was who painted it. It was the artist. Also, warriors use this term after they prevailed in battle. Whenever they would finish a battle, they, they would go, Tetelestai, it is what? Finished. We have won the battle. And it took me back to last series when we say, we take it by force, Tetelestai. Come on, say it with me. We take it by force. Force, Tetelestai. It is finished. It is complete. As soon as you go into but. You have completed something to start something else. It's not also about, you know, uh, I remember when my wife and I, we used to have a business when we got married. We used to have tortillas and barbacoa. We used to make tortillas and barbacoa. We had this big old tanks where we used to make barbacoa and tortillas. And I remember that we got married, and for some reason, we lost our business. My wife, a month after being married, she left to a Bible training center for, I think it was uh, two months, three months. You know, and we were just married. And that was like, she goes, honey, bye. I'm going to go. And it was an internship. And I couldn't see her for three months, a month after being married. And she leaves me the business, whatever was left of it. And I was like, it is finished. There was no more barbacoa. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about business. I could cook it. And I know the process of the tortillas, but I didn't know how to manage it. It was done. 
And I felt like a failure, but I remember we lost everything, and she graduated from school. We went to visit a church, and a lady prophet called us and said, come here. And she told us, I see a waterfall. I'm sharing something here at Eagle Pass in in the campus here that I didn't get to share in Del Rio, and I'm sharing this for you. A waterfall seems like the end but it's actually the beginning of a new river. And although it's falling and when it falls, it produces a lot of chaos and sound. And and when things are about to finish, sometimes they produce a lot of chaos and sound. It produces ruckus, it produces noise. It's falling, it's breaking, it's creating. But at some point, that river will turn into a beautiful, peaceful stream that'll give water to somebody, that will give rest to somebody, that will drink, give a drink to somebody. At the beginning, change his ruckus, change might not seem good. Look at us here at Access. At the beginning, change is about to come into this ministry, and there's not enough room in this place. It's, it's something's breaking down, or something's always going on. There's always ruckus at the beginning, at the end of something, because God is saying to tell us, die. This process is finished, but you're about to step into a new process. You're about to, you're creating a new river. Come on, somebody say, a new river. And so when Jesus is on the cross, we go to this verse again, John chapter 19, when Jesus had received sour wine, somebody say sour wine, bitterness, the sour wine, the vinegar wine was offered to Jesus as they filled a sponge with vinegar. How many of you have ever had that, that cider, vinegar cider, and then you're trying to lose weight, and he leches, and he, <sighs> I mean, just, you can feel it right now, right? Your, your mouth is going, and then it burns as it's going down, right? And then you try to mix it with water, and it's just not the same, and, but anyway, you, it's bitter, it's sour, it's ugly, it, it, it burns as you're drinking. Imagine, you've just been beat up, your body is dry, it's dehydrated. It said it's worse. I want you to have a mental picture of the passion of the Christ, the movie, where the body is completely dehydrated of all its energy and sources and minerals, and you ask for water, and all they give you is bitterness. Because that's what happens when you're still carrying things from the past. You're hungry, you're thirsty for water, but all you want to taste is vinegar. Now, don't get me wrong, this was very important because in the time that Jesus was doing this, it was symbolic, it was metaphorically speaking of the hyssop. And hyssop was of an extreme significance to the Jews because it would remind the Jews of the first Passover night when each household among the Israelites in Egypt slew a perfect lamb But it also talked about when the last of, when God sent the last punishment against the Egyptians. And the Bible says that the last thing he did is that he sent an angel of death to go over the houses and to kill every firstborn. And and God gave a warning to the people of Israel. And he said this, he goes, put blood over your what? Your door, so that when the angel of death goes by, the angel of death will not touch what? 
your house. Notice, who sent the angel of death, God or the devil? God. The problem is we've been, we've been, there's a lot of times when God does things not because he's against you, but because he wants to know where you're at. He wants to know where your obedience is at. And so we blame the devil. I don't want to get into that one too much. But God sent it. And then another thing we've done as Christians, we've taken that to bleed the blood of Jesus over my car. I plead the blood of Jesus over my car before I go on this trip. The blood of Jesus is not for protection, and I'll tell you in a minute why. The blood of Jesus is for redemption. Say, the blood of Jesus is for redemption. It doesn't protect you against the devil. What protects you against the devil is your identity and your anointing in Christ and who you are in Christ. Then what is the blood of Jesus for? It's to protect you from the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus is to protect you from his wrath because as soon as God, God, God knew that you had messed up. God knew as an Adam you had messed up from the beginning and his wrath wanted to come against your flesh. But as soon as the blood of Jesus was poured over you, as soon as the blood of Jesus came over you, he didn't see your sin anymore. He didn't see your curse anymore. He saw his son Jesus upon you and therefore his wrath could not come upon you and destroy you anymore. Come on, somebody say, the blood protects me from the wrath. So don't be applying no blood to your car. What you need to do is wash it. Lo traes todo sucio. It doesn't need blood. It needs a washing. You need to take it by the car wash. So suddenly, here's, this, here's this, this man named Jesus on the cross, and he's taking this, and as he's taking that, he tastes this bitterness. So the term, how many of you have ever heard of the term, uh, heard of the term bitter taste in my mouth? How many, have you ever, uh, how many of you have ever said, you know that situation left a bad taste in my mouth, a bitter taste in my mouth? I don't want to go back there anymore. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go through that anymore. I left a bitter taste in my mouth. And so the term bitter taste in my mouth could be metaphorically associated with this, even, and it represents something that you still carry from the past. You can't get that taste out of you. You know, when I used to work, I used to uh, live in Ozona, and I used to pastor there in Ozona. I was part of the fire department, and I remember that we used to uh, work. I used to be a volunteer firefighter, and I went and trained. I was on, not only a chaplain, but I was also a trained firefighter, one firefighter, two. And I had a certification for extrication and removal of, of, of bodies and all this. And, and I had gone through all that training. And I remember one of the first times that I got to a car where somebody had died. And, and I don't mean to be so graphic, but that person had exploded in the car. And, and so there was this certain smell to that person that when it hit me, I remember I went for weeks. I had to throw away, we had to, we had to rewash our suits because that smell penetrated so much and it carried it there. It smelled bad. You know, let me tell you something. Back in the times of Jesus in the Roman days, you know, whenever you kill somebody, sometimes the Romans used to put, he says, they would give you a chance and they would go, you're either going to die or we'll kick you out. But when we kick you out, we're going to give you an opportunity 
live. We're not going to kill you. But you're gonna, we're going to tie the body of the dead person on you. And you have to walk with that person, that dead person. And if you can make it until that, day, that dead person completely decays and you survive, then we'll, we'll let you live. Oof. Guess what? That's what Jesus did on the cross for you. He took on your death. He put his death on you, the stench of that death, he put it on you. And every time he went through something so you didn't have to go through it again. God punished one so he didn't have to punish anybody else again. God punished Jesus so he didn't have to punish you. Well, what about the word of God, Pastor, where it says that he who he loves, he chastises. Well, let me tell you something. The word of God, that word chastise means to correct, to bring back into order, to lovingly correct. It's like when, when your son or your daughter messes up and you go, don't do that again, and you get after them, but you lovingly correct them and put them back on track. Or it's like when a train derails and you put the train back on track so it's functional again. Punishment is when you want to destroy somebody God doesn't want to kill you God doesn't want to destroy you but you know what our human nature thinks that way of God because that's how we are towards other people we want others to hurt because I'm hurting we want others to go through what we went through and so we carry this in us. We carry all this stuff with us. Even though we have changed, even though we praise the Lord, even though we worship the Lord, our nature, our human nature still wants to carry these things. But let me tell you something. We have a blessing called the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because when he went to the cross, he said, it is finished. What was it? Somebody asked, what was it? It was the process of the atonement of sin through the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. It is finished. Every year, like Pastor was saying earlier, every year they would sacrifice a perfect lamb. They would have to go through the whole process. Man, I can't imagine that, Pastor, having us to kill. Dale, Jesus, tú mátala y yo la pongo en el altar. Yo me visto, I'll put all these garments on. I can imagine Pastor with bucket going into the Holy of Holies. All full of blood and smelly and oh, I'm glad that's over and done with. And then in the middle of the desert and the heat and the sun and having it is done. So here's Jesus and he comes as Jesus, son of man. Somebody say Jesus, son of man. Jesus, son of man. But he also comes as the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. So it was the man, Jesus, carrying the Messiah inside of him, Jesus Christ, as one so he could be the perfect lamb. Which takes me back to last series when Pastor was talking about when John said, Behold the lamb of God that takes the sin away from the world. The what? Sin. Come on, somebody say sin. That takes it away from the world. Then, Pastor, why, do, why is there still sins? Why do still people murder? Why are still things going on like what, was, what just happened in, in, in Allen, Texas? Why is there still killings? Why is there still resentment and bitterness? Why is there still cheating and lying and, and adultery and fornication and addictions and all this stuff? Why is this still going on if Jesus removed the sin of the world? Because he didn't remove the works of the flesh. 
He removed the sin of the fallen man named Adam. Come on, say it. It's finished. He removed the nature that went rebellious against him. And so Jesus said, I'm going to take on this nature as the son of man. I'm going to go to the cross. So every year they would pick the perfect lamb. But finally, here comes the year that Jesus shows up as the perfect lamb. He says, I'll go to the cross and I'll die. So nobody else will have to die again on a cross. And imagine going to the cross and dying. And not only that, they've, they've already pulled all his skin away, all his beard away. They have mocked him. They have spit on him. They have crucified him. And not only just crucified him, they crucified him totally naked, exposed to the world. He took your shame. How many of you remember what happened to Adam as soon as he took a bite of the fruit? The Bible says that they saw themselves that they were what? Naked. And so here's God and sending his son and his son. The way it started is that when man took on sin and ate of the fruit and disobeyed and became disobedient, he was naked. But in the very end, here comes Jesus crucified on the cross, totally naked. The way man started it, he finished it. Come on, say, it is done. It is finished. And after he's crucified there, and he takes on everything that ever happened in the past, in the present, and in the future. Now there is no excuse for you to hold grudges. There's no excuse for you to go, oh, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Well, then you didn't forgive. There's no excuse for resentment and bitterness and anger or anything from the past. The pastor, but you don't understand what they did to me. Well, then what are you trying to tell me? That what they did to you was worse than what was done to Jesus on the cross? You're telling me that what Jesus went through on the cross is not as bad as what you went through? <laughs> Just like the father. Always chasing after us. Perfect example. And not only that, he gave us light on our feet, light of the world. <laughs> that way he could find us. On the andas. The little feet. Come on, somebody say, let it go. Can I have that, honey? One day, the man showed up. And I'm going to use this beautiful woman as an example. And this man brought this woman. And they brought her before Jesus. And they, I'm not going to shove you, but they shoved her to the floor. And they said, and they said, Me las voy a cobrar por todas. No, I'm just kidding. Let it go, let it go. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor. Let it go. And I remember that they shoved her right there and they said, Hey, here's this woman. We caught her in an adulterous affair. She was in adultery and they came with rocks. And when they threw her to the floor, they started telling Jesus about everything she had done. Now, were they right? Yes, according to the law, they were right because that's what the law said. If a woman committed adultery, she should be stoned to death. That's not what it said about men, though. Men were asked to go, go outside, go take a shower, and then come back. But let me tell you, 
How amazing our God, our merciful Jesus is, that he even changed it for the women. He even said, you know what? Women have just as much authority and power as this men have. I'm going to make it just as good and as sweet and as amazing for women as it is for men. Everybody has to go through the process. So I remember that they were ready to stone her, and Jesus said, what did she do? She committed adultery. She messed up. Typical people. We always want to stone somebody and hurt somebody because we went through the same thing. And because we can't deal with our sin, we can't deal with our past, we can't deal with our temptations, we can't deal with what's going on in our life. We want others to suffer the way we're suffering. And they had their rocks ready to stone her. And Jesus said, I, 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 just, want, I just want to say, ask you something. Which, which one of you have not sinned like before? The first one without sin cast the first stone. And then suddenly, all you heard was, drop the rock. Jesus never, never looked up until he heard those rocks fall on the ground. Because there's a word that says, even the rocks will cry out for mercy. So as soon as the rocks fell, Jesus looked up at the woman and said, where are your accusers? And she said, they left. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And so rather than Jesus being the rock that was going to stone that woman, he became the cornerstone where the new grace and love of God was going to be built upon by the church. Somebody say, drop the rock. The merciful God is saying, let it go. Drop it. Let it go. It's over. It is done. I have finished it. You don't have to suffer anymore with the past. Therefore, if somebody is in Christ, he is a new creation. How many of you are in Christ? If you're in Christ, then you already went to the cross with Christ. If you're in Christ, then you already went to hell with Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're already resurrected with Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're seated in heavenly places together with Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're a child of God in Christ. And therefore, God remembers your sin and iniquities no more. So you shouldn't remember others. I love the excitement. And then as soon as I say that, silence of the lambs. You know, there's some biblical examples and consequences of people holding still things in their heart, resentment in their heart, even after receiving love and mercy. In Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we see the story of the unmerciful servant. And the Bible says, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me and I forgive him and let it go? Somebody say, let it go. 
How many times should I forgive them and let it go? And so, according to Jewish tradition, you could forgive up to six times a day. And so Peter wanted to be all spiritual, and he added one more and said seven. Le voy a poner uno más. Le queremos los tacos. You know, Peter was Mexican. Should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered, I tell you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, it was a Hebrewism for as many as it takes, let it go. But you don't understand, let it go. But you don't get it, Jesus, let it go. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a human king who wished to settle accounts with his attendants. When he began the accounting, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, probably about $10 million. Somebody say $10 million and do it like Austin Powers. And because he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and everything that he possessed and payment to be made. You know what? When you hold grudges, when you hold bitterness, when you hold stuff inside of you, then you will pay with your, wife, with your life and that of your wife and your children. Why? Because they will feel the resentment and the bitterness you still carry. Or the wife, the husband, and the children will feel the resentment you still carry. I felt the resentment my dad carried from his father for a while. How many of you have gone through that? Because when you carry that, not only do you suffer, but you make others suffer. Because I used to have a lot of anger and bitterness and everything, and my family suffered. And by the mercy and grace of God, I still have them with me, and I didn't lose them because I was bad. I carried a lot of resentment, and it took me a while, and I'm still in the process, and I'm still releasing a lot of that, but I'm much better than I used to be three years ago. And you were a pastor? Yes. Pastors still can get a pimple. Well, I don't get pimples anymore, but I get burnt. So, so the attendant, verse 26, so the attendant fell on his knees begging him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And his master's heart was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave him, canceling all the debt. But that same attendant, as he went out, found one of his fellow attendants who owed him a hundred denarii, about 20 bucks. Come on, somebody say 20 bucks. How much did he get forgiven? 10 million. How much did this guy owe him? 20 bucks. How many of you are still carrying? That person didn't say hi to me at church. I mean, you've been in adultery, you've been in fornication, you've had addictions, you've messed up here, you've messed up there, but somebody doesn't hi say hi to you and you want to choke him. He says, and he called him by the throat and said, pay what you owe me. Pagame. Some of us are still carrying around the 20 bucks that they owed you because you loaned somebody 20 bucks so they could, you know, they could buy something and you wanted to buy one of those banana bikes. If you know, if you know what I'm talking about, banana seed bikes from the 70s and 80s. And because they never paid you back, you never bought your bike and you still carry that resentment. And every time you see one of those bikes, you get bitter and angry. You still carry that with you. 
Because every time you see something that got you bitter, it triggers you into being bitter. But until you break it, until you let it loose from you, until you let it go, then you will still carry it with you and it will still cause a trigger. But once you let it go, even if you see it, it doesn't remind remind you anymore because God has erased all that from your heart, which is your mind. And the Bible says that this man was grabbing the other guy by the throat. Pay me my 20 bucks. So his fellow tenant fell down and begged him earnestly, give me time. I will pay you all of it. But he was unwilling and he went out and had him put in prison till he should pay the debt. And that's what happens when you don't forgive people. You put them in prison. So when his fellow tenant saw what he had happened, the chismosos, were greatly stressed, distressed, and they went and told everything that had happened to the master. See, there's always people watching what you're doing. There's always people around you. My now pastor, Pastor Brian, has taught me that. Siempre hay ojos viéndote. I mean, we try our best, right, Pastor, to be. But there's always people looking at us, always. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or it doesn't matter if you're just serving the Lord. People are always looking at us. And when they, when they saw that, they went and told everything that had taken place to their master. Then his master called the guy and said to him, you contemptible and wicked attendant, I forgave and canceled all the great debt of yours because you begged me to. And you should have, you not have had pity and mercy on your fellow attendants as I had pity and mercy on you. And in wrath, his master turned him over to the torturers, the jailers, till he should pay all that he owed. So also my heavenly father will deal with every one of you if you do not freely forgive your brother from your heart offenses. Ooh. This is Jesus sharing this. Who will deal with you? Your heavenly father. Now here's the deal. God is not going to punish you physically for unforgiving. But guess what? There's something called the Holy Spirit that will bring conviction in your heart. And you will grow bitter every day because you know in your heart you're doing wrong and you don't want to let go. You're doing wrong and you don't want to let go. You're doing wrong and you don't want to let go. And the Holy Spirit is there, there. Sassy, 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 sassy. You're going to break. You know why? Because once you give yourself to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he's not going to leave you alone till you forgive. It's kind of shh. Come on. Let's finish this up. In the book of Philemon, somebody say Philemon. Chapter 1, Philemon. We hardly ever hear about that book, Philemon. Philemon el raton, every time I hear that name. Philemon. Chapter 1, because it only has one chapter. Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and our brother Timothy, to Philemon, our dearly beloved, share with us in our work. And to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Man, what names. I'm glad they don't call us those things anymore. And to the church assembly that meets in your house, grace, spiritual blessing and favor be to all of you and heart and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I give thanks to my God for you always when I mention you in my prayers. And I want you to know something. There's always people praying for you. 
Pastor's always praying for you. There's a group of people that always get together in our church buildings and pray for you. Somebody's always keeping you in prayer. I need you to know that. Because I continue to hear of your love and of your loyal faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and which you show towards all the saints, God's consecrated people. Six, and I pray that the participation in and sharing of your faith may produce and promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in our identification with Christ Jesus and unto his glory. For I have derived great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints who you are fellow Christians have been cheered and refreshed through you, my brother. Therefore, Though I have a boldness in Christ to charge you to do what is fitting and required and your duty to do. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you for just what I am. I, Paul, an ambassador of Christ Jesus, an old man, and now a prisoner of his sake. And before I continue to read verse 10, I see this. Este es como las enfermeras. First they rub and Cuando pastor me dice, hey, let's have lunch. Ya valió. I'm just kidding. Sometimes, <laughs> all the leadership. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. No, we love, how many of you love our pastor? How many of you love our pastor? <laughs> Amen. He corrects us because he loves us. Amen. He loves us. And this is what he said. I appeal to you for my own spiritual child, Onesimus, meaning profitable, whom I have begotten in the faith while a captive in this change. Once he was unprofitable to you, but now he is indeed profitable to you as well as to me. I am sending him back to you in his own person. And it is like sending my very heart. I would have chosen to keep him with me in order that he might minister to my needs in your steed during my imprisonment for the gospel's sake. But it has been my wish to do nothing about it without first consulting you and getting your consent in order that your benevolence might not seem to be the result of compulsion or of pressure, but might be voluntarily on your part. Perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a while, that you might have him back as yours forever. Not as a slave any longer, because Onesimus used to be Philemon's slave. Not as a slave any longer, but as something more than a slave. A brother, a Christian, especially dear to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh as a servant and in the Lord as a fellow believer. And this is where I want you to pay attention to this. If then you consider me a partner and a comrade in fellowship, Welcome and receive him as you would welcome and receive me. Everybody fixed, your eyes fixed on verse 18. And if he has done you any wrong in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. See, that's what Jesus is telling you this afternoon. I don't know who did what to you. I don't know who hurt you in the past. I don't know what you still carry to go to the next level that doesn't let you go to the next level. I don't know what, what, what you still have inside of you. But you know what? I, I, have, I have dropped the rock 
I, I have even died on the cross for you. I, I, I've, I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. And, and, and if anybody owes you anything, Jesus is saying, put it in my account. I already was crucified for it. Put it in my account. But, but, but pastor, you don't know what they did. You don't know how much it hurt. And Jesus said, it hurt me more. Because not only am I carrying what they did to you, but I'm also carrying the resentment that you still have towards them. The unforgiveness you still have towards them. I forgave everything that you ever did to me. I forgave all of your sin from the day you were born, from the day that you started committing the first sins. From the, from the first day you started committing the first infractions as a human towards other humans or even to yourself or to me as your God. From that day on, everything you've ever done, I have forgiven on the cross. I have shed my blood. I have, I have died for you so you could also forgive others so that everything you owe me you can also forgive uh, they didn't say hi to me last Sunday they hate me or maybe you know they're jealous of me because I'm pros or maybe they're I don't know what it is I don't know what you still carry from the past but I'm going to ask you to stand up this afternoon and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to let it go. Come on, somebody say, let it go. Let it go. Close your eyes and just imagine Jesus on the cross. I want you to have a mental picture of the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where Jesus hung on that cross literally destroyed in his body. And as he was destroyed in his body, just think of whoever hurt you, whoever came against you, whoever has cursed you, whoever has done wrong against you, whether it's a pastor or a church or a relative or a boss or whoever it was, even a president of a nation. Some people are so angry right now at the nation that instead of blessing the nation, they're cursing the nation. Let it go. So I want you to say this prayer with me. Father, today, I recognize that I've had things in my heart that are not pleasing to you. That if I want to go to the next level, I have to let it go. I have to let it go. I have to let go of the resentment, the unforgiveness, the pain, the bitterness. I forgive them. I open the door to the prison I held them in and I let them go. I release them right now into your hands, into your judgment. And your judgment is that you've also forgiven them as you have forgiven me. And I want to thank you for that. 
In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.